great show lined up for you. The Patrick Madrid Show. It's a household name. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. So I promised you earlier that, first of all, that you can call in and be on the program by calling 888-914-9149. That number is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. It's 888-914-9149. There's some IVF stuff in the news, and I want to catch you up on that because it's important. And the first thing to point out is just a reminder that the Supreme Court of the great state of Alabama, they ruled that embryos, human embryos, are children. Now, they're at that stage of development, obviously, and in their case, sadly, they are cryogenically suspended, you might say, at that phase of development. And some terrible situations exist in which these children who have been conceived in vitro, in vitro means in glass, that's the phrase from Latin, in glass. It's in a, it's in a glass container, a Petri dish, a, t- a test tube, They used to call them test tube babies back in the day. Now, in vitro is all the rage. And one of the terrible things about in vitro is that the embryos who are not selected for implantation go on ice indefinitely. So that's part of the background to this. But in any case, people are freaking out because the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that these embryos are human beings, ergo they are children. Now, if you don't like the word, the word child or children because that denotes a stage of development in human existence. Fair enough if you don't want to use that term. But the point is they are human beings. They're unborn human beings, persons, boys and girls, male and female, etc. So that's the, the backdrop to all this now. Now, what I want to share with you is some commentary by our very own Father Rocky, going back when he was writing a column for answering questions about the Catholic faith and maybe more specifically things like um, uh, the the morality and ethics of certain actions. So he took a question as follows. I know there are very good reasons for the Church to teach against IVF, in vitro fertilization, but what are such reasons? Also, what forms are allowed and what's the difference? So here is Father Rocky's response. It's worth listening to. The Church hopes and prays that God will bless married couples with children, but knows very well from experience and stories in the Bible that not every married couple receives the gift of children. So, to begin the answer to your question, it needs to be stated that children are a gift from God. They are not a right. While every married couple has a right to try to have children, it is important to respect God's law and the law of nature for procreation. In this regard, the Catechism of the Catholic Church states... A child is not something owed to one, but is a gift. The supreme gift of marriage is a human person. A child may not be considered a piece of property, an idea to which an alleged right to a child would lead. In this area, only the child possesses genuine rights. The right to be the fruit of the specific act of the conjugal love of his parents. And if you think about that, you'll understand what it means. It's a rather roundabout way of saying something specific. But to reiterate, this is me speaking here, that child has a right to be the fruit of the specific act of conjugal love between the parents and has the right to be respected as a person from the moment of his conception. 
The gospel shows that physical sterility is not an absolute evil. Spouses who still suffer from infertility after exhausting legitimate medical procedures should unite themselves with the Lord's cross, the source of all spiritual fecundity or fruitfulness. They can give expression to their generosity by adopting abandoned children or performing demanding service for others. Now that's from paragraphs 2378 and 2379 of the Catechism. So back to Father Rocky's commentary. There are several reasons why IVF is unethical. The first reason is that in the attempt to create new human life, in vitro fertilization, IVF, results in the disproportionate risk of the loss of innocent human life. Innocent human lives are lost through IVF because, quote-unquote, excess human embryos created in the process are either discarded or placed in cryopreservation, deep freeze. Since human embryos are human lives and human beings and have an inherent right to life, which is denied by the cryopreservation or by being discarded, and that's a, that's a, a euphemism. Discarded is a commonly used euphemism. It means wash down the drain thrown in the garbage. In other words, they're killed. Discarded equals killed. So for these reasons, in vitro fertilization is unethical. Uh, the Pope, he says, has been remarkably strong in his condemnation of our modern throwaway culture. Up to 90% of the human embryos that are created never make it. They never had a chance. Again, he says, the catechism based on the instruction on respect for human life in its origin, called donum vitae, is Latin, and that's Latin for the gift of life, which came out in 1987, it says, it is immoral to produce human embryos intended for exploitation as disposable biological material. Certain attempts, this document says, to influence chromosomic or genetic inheritance are not therapeutic, but are aimed at producing human beings selected according to sex or other predetermined qualities. Such manipulations are contrary to the personal dignity of the human being, and his integrity and identity, which are unique and unrepeatable. The second reason, Father Rocky points out, that IVF, IVF in vitro fertilization is unethical, it may be difficult for people to understand if they do not have an appreciation for natural law. Because in vitro fertilization invades the sacred space of interpersonal human sexual relations and relies too much on technology, it winds up separating the spouses from each other and often separating the real parents from their offspring. Here it will be helpful to reprint what the Catechism teaches in this regard. Techniques that entail the dissociation of husband and wife by the intrusion of a person other than the couple who donates sperm or ovum or a surrogate uterus are gravely immoral. This is the Church speaking here. These things are gravely immoral, serious sins. Father Aki continues saying, these techniques, heterologous artificial insemination and fertilization, infringe on the child's right to be born of a father and a mother known to him and bound to each other by marriage. They betray the spouse's right to become a father and a mother only through each other. Techniques involving only the married couple, homologous artificial insemination and fertilization, are perhaps less reprehensible yet they remain morally unacceptable. They dissociate the sexual act from the procreative act. The act which brings the children into existence is no longer an act by which two persons give themselves to one another, but rather one that entrusts the life and identity of the embryo into the power of doctors and biologists 
and establishes the domination of technology over the origin and destiny of the human person. Such a relationship of domination is in itself contrary to the dignity and equality that must be common to parents and children. Under the moral aspect, procreation is deprived of its proper perfection when it is not only willed as the fruit of the conjugal act, that is to say, of the specific act of the spouse's union. You know what I'm talking about, right? Married people, you know what I'm talking about. Only respect for the link between the meanings of the conjugal act and respect for the unity of the human being makes possible procreation in conformity with the dignity of the person. Sometimes I wonder if they wrote the catechism in this turgid manner to help avoid near occasions of sin when it comes to, talk to issues like this, because some 15-year-old kid starting to read this is going to fall asleep before he gets to the end of the paragraph, but that's probably for the better. Finally, it says, Father Rocky concludes by saying, the reproductive medical assistance or techniques allowed include any which respect the life of the embryo and the exclusive sexual union of the married mother and father. Um, and he gives a couple of examples. Uh, lower tubal ovum transfer, also known as LTOF, and gamete intrafallopian transfer, also known as GIFT, are methods that the Church does accept and does not condemn. So this is a, a document, if you're interested, we'll get a link to that posted for you. But that leads now into the bigger picture of something that's going on in the political world. And just in the last couple of mm, just in the last couple of days, it seems to me, there has blown up this in in conservative circles, this notion that IVF is a good thing. And some people are going so far as to assert that it's a pro-life thing. It's nothing of, of the sort. It's not a pro-life thing. And there is inherent in this discussion an argument that the Catholic Church should get with the times and accept in vitro fertilization as something morally permissible and even perhaps heroic in the eyes of some, which it's not, and that this is a way for us to to bring human life into existence and, and have more people. And part of the argument is that the Catholic Church should greenlight embryo adoption. That's part of this bigger picture. Because if you're just doing IVF and you have all of these accumulating embryos on ice, cryogenically frozen indefinitely, that, of course, is a serious problem. So some of them are, are thinking long and hard before coming up with the wrong answer and the wrong answer is to say, well, the Catholic Church should say, let's do IVF. Yeah, go for it. Do, go ahead and do IVF because you'll be able to have women who will adopt those embryos. Now, that's also, as I've mentioned before, a source of much debate in the Catholic Church. And the preponderance of opinion on this issue from moral theologians and Catholic physicians and priests and others is negative, that you can't morally, as a woman, you couldn't morally adopt in a human embryo. Now, I've talked about this before, and I don't want to belabor the point. I will mention a resource if you are inclined to, to understand all the arguments on both sides of this issue. It's a book published by the National Catholic Bioethics Center. I have a copy right here in my hands in studio. It's called Human Embryo Adoption, Biotechnology, Marriage, and the Right to Life. And various contributors contributed various chapters to this book. Some of the contributions were not particularly persuasive at all. 
in my view. Some of them were rather persuasive. But ultimately, even though the church has more or less sort of closed the door on embryo adoption, it hasn't fully closed the door, like definitively said, no way ever this is ever going to happen morally. And part of my reason for saying this is because the language of the church, in, in documents like Donum Vitae, for example, it, it's, some, it's along the lines of, I don't have that line in front of me, but it seems to be morally impermissible to do this. And the word seems, and other qualifiers that are used in some of the church's statements on this issue, suggest to me that maybe the door is being left open a little bit, and perhaps at some future point, after much more consideration and discussion and debate, <clears throat> perhaps the church might get to the point where it would say, under certain circumstances, it would be morally permissible for a woman to, quote-unquote, adopt a human embryo that is not her child. But I want to emphasize that the vast preponderance, as I understand it and as I've read it, the vast majority of people who weigh in on the topic are negative toward that. So I, I just want to make sure you understand. It's not like it's up in the air and half the people think it's one and half it's the other. But it's still, the door seems slightly ajar to me. But be aware that this is not a good thing. This is not a conservative, quote-unquote, principle. It's certainly not a traditional Catholic point of view to promote in vitro fertilization. Now, without getting into names and personalities and candidates and such like that, just be aware that very likely this is going to get legs and become more of a talking point and you heard it here. You heard Father Rocky's commentary. I've commented on this a billion times on the program. The catechism is extremely clear. In vitro fertilization is gravely morally evil. Now, you may say, but what about us? We did it, and we didn't know that it was seriously sinful. In fact, we asked our parish priest, and he said it was okay. I hear stories like that quite, a, quite frequently, as a matter of fact. Well, if you didn't know, let's address those folks there who had in vitro fertilization. I know some people personally, people I, I love and care about very deeply, who have not only used in vitro fertilization to achieve, um, we can't call it pregnancy, but to achieve fertilization. I also have extended relatives, people I love and care about, who were conceived this way. So, so to speak, at least, I've got skin in the game. Most of you do in one way or another. So addressing myself for a moment to you and your wife or you and your husband, if you, in ignorance or in, in misguided good faith, went forward with this procedure and you used in vitro fertilization to conceive children, although not in the normal way, <clears throat> yes, that was a serious sin but it may be that your culpability was diminished or even greatly diminished. Let's say that you did your due diligence or thought you were doing your due diligence and you made an honest effort to find out what does the church teach on this issue and you were given bad advice by a priest, for example, or somebody else. It doesn't have to be a priest. And you went forward thinking that it was okay and that you were in the clear. Nonetheless, bring it to confession. And you put it, there, put it there at the foot of the cross, let Jesus forgive this sin. And to whatever extent you knew it was wrong or you didn't know it was wrong or somewhere in between, leave that up to God. Now, 
if you knew the church's teaching and you went forward anyway and you did it anyway, because by golly, we're going to have a child one way or another, all the more reason for you to go to confession and bring this up and put it at the foot of the cross. And by being truly sorry, that doesn't in any way mean that you are in any way turning your back on your children who were conceived by in vitro fertilization. It doesn't, it doesn't entail that. Somebody, let's say a, a man or a woman commits the sin of fornication and a baby is the result of that. Well, that baby is a beautiful gift from God and we will treasure and love and accept and welcome that baby like we would any other baby. But it doesn't mean that you can't go to confession and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the sin I committed that led to this beautiful gift that you gave me in the middle of my sin. So we can separate the beauty and the goodness of this gift of human life that God gives, even through in vitro fertilization, even through fornication or some other way in which this might take place. So if that's part of your, if that's a hurdle for you and you haven't been able to figure out how, how can I be sorry for this sin when I love my child? That's how. You recognize your child as a gift that God gave you in the midst of something that you did that was sinful you can repent of the sin and still love and be grateful for the child. So those are my thoughts on that issue. Now, I'll leave it at that. If you have questions, we can discuss it, 888-914-9149. But I want you to be aware this is now becoming part of the political discussion on the right of all things and among Catholics of all things. So if you hear that, go back to this part of the program and you can refresh if you need to. And we'll get a link to that article by Father Rocky posted for you as well. I'll be right back with more of the Patrick Madrid Show right after this. This hour is sponsored by Christendom College's Free Principles Classes. Sign up for a free online class on Holy Scripture today at NewTestamentFoundations.com. Learn to read the Bible with the mind of the Church at NewTestamentFoundations.com. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. I thought this was pretty interesting. I'll just share this with you before we go back to the phones. I saw this on Twitter. And uh, you just do the multiplication and, and you get this information. So in order to be born, you personally, okay, in order to be born, you need two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 second-great-grandparents, 32 third-great-grandparents, 64 fourth-great-grandparents, 128 fifth-great-grandparents, 256 sixth-great-grandparents. How high will he go? 512 seventh-generation great-grandparents, 1,024 eighth great-grandparents, and 2,048 ninth-generation great-grandparents. Now, that's just 12 generations. So for you to be born today from 12 previous generations, this says, you needed a sum total of 4,094 ancestors over the past 400 years. It got kind of crowded there, didn't it? Science! And math. 
And here's the sort of the little reflection at the end of this. Think for a moment how many struggles, how many battles, how many difficulties, how much sadness, how much happiness, how many love stories, how many expressions of hope for the future did your ancestors undergo for you to exist in this present moment? That's pretty amazing when you think about it that way. I love it, Patrick. You sent that to me over the weekend. (laughs) And so I shared it with my teenage, my 15-year-old daughter, right? Because I was like, this is so cool. She could not have been any more unimpressed with any of it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Nothing. I got nothing out of her. It was, that is really cool. Not yet anyway. Like, yeah, whatever, boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh. You're not even a boomer. Uh, I know. I know. Well, my kids think I am. Well, I think being a baby boomer is a cause for, you know, that that's a cause for pride. Um, yeah, it really is interesting. You know, one single person, you go back all these generations, all those people, 4,094 of them, you actually had to have that many in order for you to exist. They all had to go through everything they went through you know, at least in terms of winding up fathering the next generation, then the next one, the next one, the next one. Think of all the labor and deliveries. It's unreal. Most <laughs> of these lot. most of these did not have indoor plumbing. This is true. Nor air conditioning, nor Advil. Many of them <laughs> right, did not have no. Novocaine. Yeah. Yeah, we are so drug. lucky. Oh, we really are. And really going back, even just one of those generations, people didn't have the internet. So it's remarkable, truly remarkable. Uh, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Patrick in Chicago. Good morning, Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Um, I was wondering, I heard what you said about um, confessing if you use in in vitro. I want to know what happens now um, when the fertilized eggs are in storage and we can no longer... um, um, you know, physically implant them. Um, implant them. Yeah. Is it because the wife is now beyond childbearing age? Uh, they had medical complications. Okay. This is a real dilemma. This is a real dilemma because those human beings have a right to life, and yet be- because of that issue, they're it would seem deprived of life, um, or deprived of the ability to live a normal life as a result. So thinking it through here with you, you would go to confession, of course, and be truly sorry for it. And then I think that if I were in that situation, I would be looking at what reparations can I do for the rest of my life to repair for this damage that I've done that can't be changed, at least not currently. This is one of the hideous aspects of in vitro fertilization is that you've got the embryos who are not selected. How many of them are there? Well, it could be two, three, five, maybe more at times. And they either have to be left on ice forever or the only alternative is that they die. So as grim as that is, it doesn't mean that one cannot be forgiven for this sin, but the effects of the sin remain. And so I would think that some type of real penance that would be offered as a reparation for this, maybe for the rest of one's life, would be appropriate. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. I know it's a difficult topic for people who have gone down this road, but let it be a cautionary tale. 
people, let, let this be a cautionary tale to you. Children are beautiful. They're a gift from God. And, and, and I'll be the first one to praise God for the gift of children. Absolutely, 100%. But you and I don't have an, a right to children. We have a right, as Father Rocky was pointing out, as the Catechism points out, you as a married man or a married woman, or as a couple, of course, you have a right to try to have children. You have that right. You have that that built-in right. It's part of marriage, and God respects that. In fact, that's how he made you. He made human physiology, and he made the nature of marriage such that the the beauty of trying to have a child is a gift in itself, but the, the payoff ultimately is to have a child, and, and we have the right to try, but we don't have the right to demand or insist or by any means possible have a child no matter what. That's something we don't have an absolute right to. And one of the real dangers, and we're seeing it all the time in IVF, <clears throat> is that children uh, can come to be seen as a commodity. I'll pay this amount of money to this fertility clinic, and we'll make sure we have a baby, and we'll have X number of embryos to choose from, and we may choose on the basis of sex, or maybe we'll choose on, choose on the basis of, well, this one probably is going to have blue eyes, or and they become accessories. And children are not accessories. Children are not commodities. Children are a gift from God and intended to be conceived and and reared in the safety and the intimacy of a human family, whereas the Catechism points out, each child has a right. They have rights. <laughs> the child has the right, for example, to be born of parents whom he is able to know. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes parents die before childbirth or in, in infancy. That happens. You know, it's part of life. But ultimately, the child has a right to know who his parents are, Imagine yourself growing up with the two gay dads who paid their $50,000 to a woman in Thailand or the Philippines or someplace to be the rent-a-womb for the in vitro fertilization baby that gestated for nine months in her womb. She gives birth to the baby and off they go to the gay dads. Imagine you're growing up in that situation. You don't even know who the woman was who birthed you. You don't even know who the woman is who's your birth mother who contributed the ovum to the whole process. So maybe, I hope this isn't the case, but maybe in vitro fertilization is moving in, into the you know, primary position now as the next big terrible thing that's going to be sweeping the country. I hope it doesn't. 888-914-9149. How about Patrick in Trenton? Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, just a, this would probably be an easy question for you. For someone that is struggling with like serious sin, um, is there a set amount of times? Like, can you go to confession every other day? Let's see. I'm just saying, if you you know. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have an habitual sin that you fall into. Yes. It's a serious sin, and you fall into it every day or multiple times a day. Yes. Well, go to confession as often as you fall into the sin, but. The, the the point is, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, am I really serious about being sorry for this sin? Because if you really are serious, and I don't necessarily mean you personally, but it could be you, 
Otherwise, you're just playing games with God. That's all it really amounts to is if you say, well, you know, oh, gosh darn, I fell back into that sin again. I know, I'll just go to confession tomorrow. And I'll go to confession tomorrow, get back out of the sin. Technically, I'm back in the state of grace, but I know, and everybody knows, I'm probably going to fall right back. And Oops, I fell right back into that sin again. I know, I'll go to confession tomorrow. That's just playing games with God. And that's indicative of not really being truly sorry for your sin. If you're truly sorry for your sin, and, and I suspect I know what sin this is, you have to be ruthless and fight against it. You have to be ruthless. You have to attack it with everything you've got. If it means you have to get rid of your cell phone, get rid of your cell phone. Whatever it means, whatever you have to do, do what you have to do to attack the sin and eradicate it from your life, even though you may fall into it here and there. But the sign of true repentance, one of the fruits of true repentance is that the sin begins to diminish and then eventually it will disappear. But if the person is just playing games, it'll never go away, and the person will never really be, you know, really and truly in the state of grace because it's just this revolving door of sin and repentance, quote-unquote repentance and sin and repentance, and it's just a big game. So if you're helping a friend who's in a situation like that, I would tell him that. Um, that's very helpful. Well, can I just ask one more question on the sure. same line, and I just asked that? Sure. Um, in your opinion, what's the best way to build that, like, um, sorrow for, for, like, for, sorrow for sin, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because that's, like, not a natural mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the best way the saints tell us is to cultivate the opposing virtue. So if, this, if the struggle you're having is with lust and the ways in which lust manifests itself, then you cultivate the opposing virtue of purity and chastity. Purity is, in a, it, essentially, it's the purity of mind and thought, and chastity is the way of governing your body so that your body does, you don't allow your body to rule you with its demands for sexual pleasure. So simply put, it's not easy, but it's simple. You start cultivating that. Now, what does that mean? You know, what would be some practical things? How do you, how do you do that? Well, number one, meditate upon the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Think about that. Think about how God has created you for happiness. He won't force you to be happy. He won't force you to go to heaven. He won't force you to be saved, but he gives you all the graces necessary and the proper instruction and divine revelation, and even just in your own mind and heart, you know that certain things are wrong. So he's given you the the helps needed to overcome these problems and meditate upon what it means to be eternally separated from God. That if you choose the fleeting pleasure of this or any other sin, instead of God, and the pleasure comes and goes, and then when, when it's over, it's over, and then somebody who goes to hell is eternally separated from the one person who can make him truly happy, and that's God. Part of learning how to be truly sorry for your sins is to think about them, meditate upon them. Ask the Lord to give you this grace of sorrow for your sins. Ask him to give you a positive horror for your sins. Jesus said if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's pretty It's pretty strict. Now, I don't think he meant that. I'm pretty sure he didn't mean that literally. Very few of us would have hands or feet or eyes for that matter. But he meant it really and truly that you do whatever it takes to eradicate that from your life. So pray and ask God for that gift. Meditate upon the four last things. 
be willing to shed your blood before you fall into a sin like that. You know, there were some great saints who did extreme things like throwing themselves into icy rivers in the middle of the winter to help quell their violent temptations to sexual sin. Um, St. Francis of Assisi, I believe, was one of them who threw himself into a thorn bush. He just like took off his cloak and, you know, jumped into a thorn bush as a way to quell. I mean, that's radical. If you ask me, Patrick, that's about as radical as it possibly gets. But some people were willing to do that rather than to succumb to the, the temptation. So you do what you need to do is what I'm saying to you. Just do what you've got to do. Pray the rosary every day. It will help you. It's a powerful weapon against sin, against temptation. And if you get, if you make a promise and say, I'm going to pray the rosary every day for the rest of my life, and I will not go to bed, I will not fall asleep at the end of a day if I haven't first prayed my rosary, you'll find this sin beginning to disappear because, you know, who wants to be able to, who wants to have to say the rosary while they're in the state of mortal sin? <clears throat> has a way of canceling it out. So try those things. And lastly, as long as I'm on it, get a copy of a book by Father Benedict Groeschel. It's G-R-O-E-S-C-H-E-L. Are there two L's or one? I think it's just one L. Father Benedict Groeschel. And the book is called The Courage to be Chaste. The Courage to be Chaste. And if you read that book, he also was a, a trained clinical psychiatrist in addition to being a good priest. So take to heart what he has to say. And you can, you can win this battle, but you're going to have to really work at it and ask for God's grace, and it'll happen. I'll be right back. Big time gratitude to Charity Mobile for sponsoring the Patrick Madrid Show. They're a pro-life cell phone company with nationwide coverage and no contracts. You can choose from the latest phones or bring your own. New customers can mention Patrick for a free phone or another offer. Info at CharityMobile.com. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. Okay, back to the phones. The number again, 888-914-9149. How about Viola in Lakewood, Colorado? Good morning, Viola. Good morning, Patrick. Yes, I was listening last week to the the ones that called in about the divorce and how it, how it affected them, no matter what their age. Well, my grandson and his wife are separated, and I think you mentioned a book called... Um, something about loss by Miller or something. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And I wondered if that would help or if there's something else I might do to help them. Mm -hmm. That would be a good book. Now, they're separated, but they're not yet divorced. Is that right? That's right. Uh-huh. Okay. I would give each of them a copy of this book uh, by Layla Miller, L-E-I-L-A Miller. The book just is a called... Uh, just a minute, Patrick. Could mm -hmm. I... Uh, L-E... L-E-I... Okay. L-A... Miller. Okay. Mm -hmm. The book is called Primal Loss. What was that first? Primal. P-R. I'll spell it for you. P-R-I-M-A-L. Primal Loss. 
And it is a book that is comprised of testimonies, uh, statements, commentary by children of divorce. Now, they didn't write these commentaries as children, but whether they were little kids when their parents got divorced, or even in some cases they were adults when their parents got divorced, the pain and devastation that the divorce caused to the children is reflected in their statements. And that's what the book, it's just a series, it's a compilation of many different people explaining how devastating their parents' divorce was. Yeah, and uh, I was really surprised that it would affect them, no matter what age. Yeah, it's traumatic. mm -hmm. So, um, do you think that 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 would help them, to give them a copy of that book, to read about that then? I do, I do, because (laughs) although I myself have never been divorced, thanks be to God, I've known many people who have gone through that, and some of them, I think maybe most of them, could have averted a catastrophe for their children if they had read this book before they pressed that button to destroy their marriage through divorce. Yeah, where do I get that book from? Any Catholic bookstore would carry it, or should, or they can order it for you. Or you can order it online. If you just look it up online, you could order it that way. But I'm, I'm pretty sure the, the greater um, Denver area has got at least a few Catholic bookstores who would probably have it on the shelf. Yeah, I'm sure that they would, too. That, that's good. Yeah. Well, he had, built an, he had bought a home next door, or real close, and, and I don't know if he's moved into that. He's working on it and everything, but they're still separated, you know, and they just have the one child. So I'll do that then because I, I would like to do something to, to help, and I just didn't know what I could do. That would definitely be a good help. I would recommend also for your—this is your son, the man that you talked about, is that right? My grandson. Grandson, okay. I would recommend that he go to a website called dads.org, dads.org, D-A-D-S.org. Steve okay. Wood is the proprietor, a friend of mine. And there are resources there under the marriage section for men in his situation that will help him clarify his thinking, get get his head screwed on straight to whatever extent it needs to be, and mm-hmm. help him do the right thing going forward. Yeah, I hope they'd be open to this. Uh, really, he's, he's a, they just have the one child, and he is so close to her. He's coached for her in soccer and other things, and, and he's just a really mildly-mannered fellow. So I don't think there's anything in there. I don't know the reason they got separated. My son doesn't want to talk about it, so I don't mm-hmm. know about my grandson. But I will certainly do these two things, uh, Patrick. You're, well, I'm happy to hear that, Viola, <clears throat> and well, I'm hopeful that they'll have the desired about, Could I ask a question about suicide? My, uh, my um, son's wife... Uh, did suicide years ago and left uh, four children. She had three children, and she lost the fourth one, and uh, it, he, um, it died right a few hours afterwards. And uh, so she got pregnant right right away. She got right away pregnant. I know emotionally that's so hard on you, but then she she was drinking and on prescription drugs. And she had anxiety attacks and eye problems. A cataract operation went went bad and everything. So anyway, I just wondered about that. You know, I know she just was terribly upset and everything. You know, so I wondered well, your opinion on divorce. Well, I'm I'm not a, a 
I'm not a fan of divorce, obviously. I it's, mean not divorce, I mean uh, suicide. Well, I'm not a fan of suicide either. <laughs> no, um, I'm not either. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure what the question is you're asking me in that area. I'm asking, how how does that set with the Lord if you kill yourself? Because I know you were God's body, you know, and mm-hmm. we're destroying it. But when a person is so out of it, I don't see how they could be in their right mind and do it. Right. You're, you're right about that, Viola. There is a great case to be made that because suicide is so unnatural and we have such a strong will to live that something extreme must be taking place, fear, coercion, uh, some mental illness perhaps, or something that would override that extremely powerful will to live for somebody to commit suicide. So the church on the one hand says that suicide is a a serious sin because we don't have the right to take our own lives. We didn't bring ourselves into existence. We don't have the right to say, well, it's time for me to go now. So it, it is, objectively speaking, a grave sin, a serious sin. But the church also recognizes that if, you know, probably I would guess for most people, there is some external factor that greatly reduces the person's freedom and the freedom to make a clear decision, I'm not going to do this or I am going to do this. If there's depression or some other thing that's causing suicidal ideation, that's beyond that person's control. God takes that into account. It could be extreme fear. Whenever the question comes up, I'm always reminded of that terrible day on 9-11, seeing people in the Twin Towers who were trapped above where the planes hit, and everything was on fire. And they really had one of two choices. They could either stay in the building and, and burn to death, or they could jump to their deaths. And many people jumped, not because they were trying to commit suicide. That was the net result that, that their lives ended, but they were escaping from something intolerable. And I think, I mean, I know, for example, that the church takes all of this into account. So we recognize it as objectively a, a serious sin, but we, we also hope in the justice and the mercy of God that the person who was not fully in control and was being buffeted by these external forces that maybe the person can be saved. And this often, this sometimes happens. St. John Vianney, he comforted a family of a man who had died of suicide by jumping off a bridge because God permitted him to know that the man was saved. And in the moments between jumping off the bridge and hitting the water, which killed him, he had a moment of clarity and he repented and he was saved. So there are a lot of aspects of this issue Um, So what we do as Catholics is we pray for the repose of the soul of the person who died by suicide as we were for any other person, and we ask God to have mercy on him. So that's about all I can say in a short period of time, but I hope that's helpful to you, Viola. Thank you. Uh, Let's go now to Steve in Riverside. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. I just wanted to ask, you know, I'm having trouble, fits in great with the previous topic, I'm having trouble believing and trusting in God's providence, you know, that God is actually doing anything in a direct way, as you see with Scripture, or with various promises of the Church, with various devotionals, the Rosary, you know, scapular, etc. Mm-hmm. How do you respond? Do you believe God actually has a direct hand on our lives and is helping to guide us? I do. I do believe that with all my heart. I mean, Jesus said so. 
Jesus said things, for example, like, look at the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, and yet they're arrayed in beauty. Um, or the, the birds of the air who don't sow or reap or anything. They just they have food as God permits them to have it. So there is what I believe in, Steve, what's known as, as you said it, God's providence. It's his plan for our happiness. But it doesn't deprive us of freedom, nor does it deprive us of being uh, harmed by bad things that happened or blessed by good things that happened. But I do believe that God is constantly unfolding his plan. And for those who seek to cooperate with it, all the more so will they find you know, the kind of, um, what, what, how did you put it? You didn't say consolation, but whatever the word was that you used. Happiness, maybe? Tell me about your struggle. If, if I can ask you, what is it specifically for you? Are you feeling discouraged, or, or what is it exactly for you? Yeah, you know, I had a family member. She recently suffered a stroke and just untold suffering. Um, I mean, y- you can't even imagine what this woman's life has now been destroyed as far as mm-hmm. at the level I, and just, you know, I feel like you, you know, I, at least that more so I used to felt like God is definitely has a hand on my life. And I'm sure to God, I more like the Israelites whining in the wilderness, you know, saying, oh, yeah. where, where are you, God? But I, I just, you know, and then sometimes I'll listen to, to the rosary, you know, the family rosary or listen to Drew Mariani's um, uh, Divine Mercy Chaplet. You know, mm-hmm. you'd be forgiven if all you did was, you know, listen to these prayer requests you know, without hearing as many praise reports, you know, it, it would just seem like the Christian faithful are getting creamed. Now, I do like that, if I may real quick, Drew Mariani mm-hmm. made a comment that kind of helped me. He, he highlights how many unanswered prayer requests probably come in, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's many people who did receive help, but didn't, you know, take the time to write. But I'm just, mm-hmm. as I get older and I see more people, you know, go through the gauntlet as they get closer to death and stuff, it's really hard to, you know, see God's hand on the situation with what uh, would appear to be utter abandonment, which I know isn't the case, but, you know. Here's a Bible verse that speaks to that issue. I think you might find it helpful. Maybe as you meditate and pray, Steve, try this verse. So this is St. Paul speaking, Second Corinthians chapter 4. We'll begin in verse uh, 6. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of, you know, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, the part there that really speaks to my heart is to be afflicted but not crushed, to be perplexed but not driven to despair, to be persecuted but not forsaken, to be struck down and not destroyed. That resilience that I think what you're referring to here, how do we, how do we find that resilience in the face of difficulty and even outright persecution? Uh, that comes from Jesus, and we recognize that ultimately this life is just a passing sojourn. We're not intended to live here forever, and we're on our way to heaven where we won't have any of these problems. So that fidelity in the face 
and the trust in the face of these type of, of obstacles is what's preparing us for the happiness in the life to come. And lastly, Steve, if I may, I'll recommend a book by Dr. Peter Kreeft. It's called Making Sense Out of Suffering. It's a really good look at the very question that you're asking. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your thoughts. You are welcome, and I appreciate your phone call. We're going to do another hour's worth in just a minute, uh, 888-914-9149. Before we get to the music, though, um, I have a note here that comes in from Jean. She's listening in Dubuque, and she says, regarding in vitro fertilization, in your conversation about that, on a lighter note, you made me laugh. Advil wouldn't touch labor pains or the pain from a C-section for most, LOL, Being a woman and mother, it's a pain that you forget once you see those beautiful little miraculous blessings. I cannot imagine, she says, the heartache couples feel when they are not able to conceive. Let's all pray for them so that void may be filled. Excellent point, Jean. And never having been through through labor or C-section for that matter, I did see my wife give birth to our 11 children, not all at once, of course. But uh, I saw that, and that's not something I think I could do. So thank God for women and their ability to do something most men would not be able to do. And um, you're right, Advil doesn't really touch that, does it? Thank you. I'll be right back with more right after this. Mm-hmm. 